If you have a story that you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please consider sending it my way. Just go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button to submit your story. And of course, thank you. This happened when I was still going to school on campus. I took night classes, which were from about 6pm to 10pm. It was also about a 40 minute drive from my place, and for someone who didn't like highways, it could be a long drive. I was able to find a road that went parallel to the highway most of the way, but it did add a little time to my trip. For the most part, the drive was fine, though. There was definitely less traffic, and the scene was prettier to look at, but if you were tired enough, the drive home could make it worse. Those nights, I typically had my music up super loud, and listened to some kind of comedy show, or even called my boyfriend to talk to him, in hopes of keeping myself awake and focused on the road. However, on one of those nights... As I was driving home, I heard a pop, followed by a loud, grinding sound. Of course, my tire blew while driving home. It's around 10 at night, as I mentioned. It was a Friday, and I was just exhausted and ready for my day off. And then this happened, causing me to have a bit of a meltdown. I pulled over on the shoulder and called my boyfriend to let him know what had happened. He asked me if I wanted his help, because he knew that I typically tried to remedy these situations by myself. I always hated the concept that I must not know how to change a tire or other car stuff because I'm a girl, so I appreciated that he always asked instead of assuming. I told him that I would do it, but I would be home late and told him the closest intersection I was at just in case. I was always careful when I did this stuff, so I laid out my reflective stands that I kept in my car, and I started to put the jack in place to lift it. Once I got it all set up, I went and grabbed the tire iron and started working on it. The best part of this whole experience was that I had just replaced one of my tires because it had a nail in it that was not able to be fixed, so... I could only afford to replace one, and I got a new one and then had them all rotated. The old man at the shop was super sweet, and he offered to do the rotation for free since I was purchasing the tire in full. So, of course, this would happen to a different tire. The icing on the cake was that they used a machine to put the lug nuts back on, because they were hard as hell to undo. Through struggling and some mild cursing, I finally got one off. As I was working on another one, a car was driving by and it started slowing down. I expected them to check out the show or stop and ask if I needed help, but to my surprise, they just kept on driving by. So, I kept trying to work at the lug nuts when I saw the headlights of another car coming from the opposite direction. This time... I watched as they slowed down and turned off onto the shoulder behind me, and out from the driver's side came some guy. 
I had a feeling that I knew where this was going, so I already had my RBF going on. He approached and said hi, so I set it back and continued working on my tire. He had that annoying chipper sound to his voice that I cannot stand. I typically got that when a guy was approaching me at the club, when I was with my friends or doing something to my car at a gas station or something like this on the side of the road, and it honestly pissed me off. I'm sorry, I know that sounds mean, and I don't think that all guys do it for the same reason, but it's just the vibe that I got. So, when this guy did the same thing, I immediately knew where this conversation was going to go. As he got closer, he said smiling, It looked like you could use some help. I told him I was fine and that I had done this plenty of times before, hoping that would get him to leave, but my hopes failed. Then, he irked me with the next obvious statement of, Well, a pretty lady like you shouldn't have to do something like this by herself. And also asked, Where's your man at to help you? So, yes. I was kind of bitchy, and responded with, I don't need something between my legs to change a tire, thank you. However, he seemed to like the abuse. He laughed and apologized and said that he didn't mean to offend, and just wanted to try and help. So, instead, I thanked him for his offer, but again said that I was fine. He put his hands up in defeat and stepped back to lean on my truck. As I struggled again to get them off, he then asked, So you don't have a man then? I stopped and asked him to just leave me alone when he tried to compliment me again and ask me out. So, as a last resort... I told him that I wasn't single, and even if I had been, he was not my type. But this guy did not back down. He basically then said he didn't believe me, and to prove it. Now at this point, I'm confused. How was I supposed to prove that I had a boyfriend? I again told him I didn't need any of his help, and to leave me alone and his response was to get closer to me and say, Or what? I don't see your boyfriend here to save you. That was the comment that scared me, and made me realize that I was on the side of a dark road in the middle of nowhere. I didn't really know what was around me, and just barely knew the road that I was on, and the intersection that I just passed. Not to mention the reason why I was stopped there, I couldn't drive my car away with a blown tire and it being jacked up. So, my intimidation act quickly dropped as he was hovering over me. I was about 5'2", and he was probably at least 6 foot, as I had to look up to see his face, which I did with my boyfriend, and he was 6'2". So, I just told him to please let me be, as I just wanted to change this so I could get home. Giving up, I said if you think you can undo these faster, then feel free to help. So, he backed up and laughed a little and said, Why should I help you, after the way you've treated me? I again apologized and told him that I was just frustrated, and wanted to go home and said that he didn't have to. Then, 
He said I should make it up to him somehow. The look on his face said it all, and I just felt sick to my stomach. I again apologized and started stepping back to my driver door. The bad tire was the back driver's side, so I was already pretty close. He noticed that I was doing this, and started toward me as well, so I quickly turned to open my door. He grabbed me by my waist and pulled me backwards, and all I could do was kick and flail and scream. As you might expect, he went to cover my mouth, and I bit down as hard as I could on his finger. He yelled something, calling me names, but as that hand was flailing, I was able to struggle out of his grasps and ran to my car. I got in and tried shutting the door, but he ran up to it, trying to keep me from shutting it. I managed to slam his hand in the door. He pulled back screaming again, and I quickly locked the doors and tried grabbing my phone to call someone. I noticed I had a missing call from my boyfriend, but being all over the place at the time, I just called 911 first. While I was on the phone, I saw the guy standing there, looking at me, but then he walked back to his car. Again, I was scared because my car was on a jack, and there was no way that I could leave. While on the phone, I saw another car driving up, but I had a feeling it wasn't an officer because it was too fast, and it didn't look like one of their cars. At this point, I became nervous because I could see the light of the guy's car behind me, and now I have a car approaching and pulling over in front of me. Then, I recognized the car. It was my boyfriend. I told the operator that he had showed up and wanted to call him to tell him to knock it out of his car, fearing this guy might attack him, but before I could even do anything, he was already getting out and coming over to my side. I started rolling my window down, I was never thankful for manual windows before then, and before I could even start explaining what had happened, the guy behind me burned out, getting as close as he could to my car. As he drove away, I explained this to the operator and got out of my car, I hugged my boyfriend as I tried explaining to him through tears what had happened when an officer showed up as well. I went over everything, but since it was dark and he took off so fast, I couldn't get a plate number, and I could barely tell what kind of car it was other than it was a dark color. The officer stayed with us as my boyfriend helped change the tire. Since the car went in the direction we needed to go... He followed us for a good distance until we were back in the city, or at least on a main road. We got home with no incidents after that, and we talked about it a bit more. My boyfriend told me that after he got off the phone with me, he felt uneasy, so after a while, he texted me to check in, and when I didn't respond, he tried calling. Again, when I didn't answer, he decided to go and find me based on the information that I had given him. I've never been happier that he made that choice, and from then on, if he did something like that, I never thought twice about it. I bucked up and started taking the main highway from then, and also changed to online classes where I could. That was easily the most terrifying thing to ever happen to me. I never ran into this guy again, and I hope I never do.
was in seventh grade, my family decided to move. My father found a house to rent for cheaper than it should have been, and a six-month vacancy. I'm not sure why we still moved in after learning about some of what had happened there. Once we moved in, it seemed like my parents were different people. My mother became more withdrawn and began to drown herself in religion, while my father began to become aggressive and threatening worse than he had ever been. Even my baby sister began to exhibit strange behaviors. She began to sleepwalk oftentimes, stopping to stand at the door leading to the basement. I felt like I was going crazy in that house. No one seemed to notice the worsening behavior of my family, or perhaps they didn't care. The room I stayed in in this house was at the top of the stairs. I could look out my door and down the hall towards my parents' room. My closet door was small enough that I had to crouch to get through, and near impossible to open due to an excess of paint on it. I ended up putting an armoire against it so that I could stop worrying about it opening on its own. My parents' room resided opposite mine, at the far end of the hallway. When they had been setting up their room, they'd found knives. And not just a couple of them, no, the knives lined the wall around the floorboard. Some were stabbed in, but most were just laying there. The closet was not spared from an overabundance of kitchen utensils, all reflecting the eerie yellowed light. Stranger still were the scratches in the paint. They were messy, and looked to have been done by a person. Most of them were on the sloped ceiling of the closet. Arguably, my sister had the most normal room. The only strange thing was the crawlspace entrance above her bed. It would creak open on occasion, but was dismissed as a raccoon even after she claimed to have seen a face. The rest of the house was terrible. It was yellowed from cigarette smoke, a patch of carpet was cut out due to a stabbing incident by the tenants before us, and there seemed to be an ever-present chill in the air. No areas were worse than the basement and the garage. As per my bad luck, it seemed we had a spider infestation in the basement. Along with that, for some reason, our shower was located down there. The basement was unfinished, it was always dusty and smelled of mold. The garage had a lofted area that always felt like it hosted something more than a, a couple of stray cats or some birds. It always seemed to slightly smell of rot. I hated it. I couldn't sleep when in that house, which was nothing short of a blessing half the time, as it seemed the worst happened come evening. One night, my father wandered down the stairs to the living room where my mother and I were sat reading. He looked dazed. Not all there. His eyes seemed distant and unfocused, until he spotted my mother and I, and then he seemed to be overtaken by rage. He had rushed over and tried to attack my mother, and when that didn't work, he grabbed a vase and yelled at the two of us. He asked which one wanted to die first, because he was going to kill us and take my sister with him. I was scared. I panicked, 
and in a state of blind fear, I punched him. He had luckily dropped the vase, and he seemed to go back to the dazed state, no longer filled with anger. He turned from my mother and I, said something that neither of us could make out, and began to go back upstairs. I decided to follow him up and make sure that my sister was safe, and all he did was walk to his room. His behavior became more extreme over the time that he remained there. I noted a distinct lack of the smell of alcohol that was on him, rather a smell similar to both what was in the basement and garage seemed to follow him, a mix of dust and sweet rot. My mother kicked him out a few weeks later, seeming to come to her senses after he had swung at me in front of her. It seemed that after he left, the house became angry. My sister seemed to become a target. She was more violent than any three-year-old should have been. A couple of weeks after we returned to the house, this time lulled into a sense of false security by the absence of my father, on one of the nights that I was unable to sleep, I had heard footsteps on the stairs. I sat silent in my bed, hoping that it was just my sister sleepwalking. I then heard the door slam, followed by my sister screaming. I rushed downstairs, followed closely by my mother. The basement door was patched shut with a sliding lock, but on the other side was my sister screaming and crying in panic. I was accused of locking her down there. My mother never did believe me when I said I had seen a head peeking through the gap of the stairs, just watching. Due to this event, I was not allowed to do anything. My mother upped the chores that I was to do, but it seemed that most of these were in the basement. She demanded that I scrub the shower, wash the laundry, sweep the seemingly never-ending dirt that settled down there, even clear off the old cobwebs and spiders that resided in the rafters. She would scream at me when I would leave the basement before I was finished. I hated being down there. I felt like I was being constantly watched. Sometimes things would move, boxes would tip and spill, things would hit me even when I was the only one down there. One of the more extreme events that I remember happened when I was doing laundry. I was transferring the wash into the dryer, when suddenly the room seemed to hold more of a chill than it had before. Something rolled into my ankle, and I jumped. When I turned around to grab my basket, I noticed a dark shape just standing there. I blinked, thinking perhaps it was my eyes playing a trick on me, but it seemed to come closer motioning forward. As stupid and cliche as it is, the room seemed to grow colder as it moved forward, and a sickly sweet smell of mildew seemed to become overwhelming. I let whatever it was get entirely too close. I was desperate to know what it was. I couldn't make out much. It was human-shaped, tall, and shadow-like. Once I realized how close it was, I sprinted up the stairs only to find the door locked. I panicked and I slammed myself into the door. I could hear something akin to scraping. I lunged to the door that led to the outside of the house, 
tripping on the small lip of the door. The alarm that we had went off, and as I went to slam the door, I saw that same head sticking out from underneath the stairs again. We moved out not long after this, thank goodness. I haven't really told anyone about this as no one seems to believe me. I've attempted to ask my parents about what happened there. My father claims he doesn't remember much about living there, and what he does remember is foggy at best. And my mother has just claimed that it was normal for strange things to happen in old houses. I don't think what happened was normal, and I know that it was real. Sorry for this being long and just kind of everywhere. I just really needed to tell someone about this, as it's been eating at me ever since it happened. As a kid, I was always sensitive to paranormal stuff and was never really freaked out. So, it threw me for a loop to be suddenly living in fear. So, I live in Maryland. I don't live far from the Pocomoke State Forest. It's supposed to be notoriously haunted. My sister and I have always been into the paranormal... I've seen a few things in my life, but never anything that terrified me as much as what we saw in the forest that night. This happened three months ago, and still scares me when I think about it. So, my sister and I were actually riding around, bored, trying to come up with something to do. I came up with the great idea of going to the forest, since it's only 20 minutes away. So, as we're driving there, we get about five or six minutes from the forest, and I start to hear this strange sound coming from inside my car. It gave me the chills, but my sister didn't hear it at first, so I checked everything in the car, making sure the radio was off completely. Even the heat was off, and I made sure all the vents were closed so there was no air coming through them that could be possibly making this noise. Right at that very moment, it grew louder. Like, it was clear as day. And at this point, I knew my sister was hearing it by the look on her face. It literally sounded like some kind of Native American tribal music, maybe? I still don't know, but that's the best that I can describe it. The first thought I had was that it sounded like someone was playing a flute inside of my car. I have a Honda Accord, so the front seats can only fit two people, and yet this music was clearly coming from right in between us, as if someone was sitting in the back seat, and they were leaning forward and playing this music right in between both of us. This went on for a good four to five minutes, and stopped when we arrived at the forest. Although it freaked us out, we were more excited than anything for some reason. So the forest has trails everywhere. You can ride your car or walk. They have campgrounds and parks for children. It's a really beautiful place. So the second that we arrived, I immediately had this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And my heart was just... pounding. I told my sister that I felt it was safer for us to just ride through in the car. I mean... 
it was like 12 a.m. at this point and super dark. So when we first entered, we drove through where the campgrounds were and everything, and we drove a little deeper in and came to this one park. For some reason, we both decided to just get out and sit on the front of my car to see if anything happened. The first thing that I noticed was how eerily quiet it was out there, and so very dark. I could hardly see much, so I turned on the car headlights. At first, it was really quite amazing. Stuff was happening, but I wasn't afraid. Like I said, at first it was so quiet that I could hear my own heart pounding, and the air was somewhat thick. It almost seemed like it was slightly harder to breathe. I do remember telling my sister, This is wild. Like, I don't hear anything. Literally nothing. Not even an animal walking through the forest. Just absolutely nothing. About maybe ten minutes in, I'm starting to hear shouting off in the distance, but not super far away. I know for sure it was the sound of men shouting. Then, I start hearing heavy gunshots everywhere. It sounded like we were in the middle of war as the sounds grew closer and louder. I wasn't afraid, though. It was actually pretty cool. So that went on for maybe a few minutes and then stopped. My sister and I stayed for maybe another 25 to 30 minutes, with nothing else happening, and we decided to drive to another part of the forest. As soon as I got into the driver's seat, this feeling of just complete terror came over me. It made me feel so sick to my stomach that I almost vomited. My ears and face were also burning up, like I had the worst fever I could ever imagine. My ears were just so hot. I told my sister several times that my ears were on fire, my stomach was upside down, and that we needed to go because something's not right. We debated for a couple of minutes. She wanted to stay longer because she said she also had a feeling of some kind of presence being there. Not even two minutes later, I hear my sister say, What the hell is that? as I was looking down at my phone. I look out the passenger window at the tree line where she was staring, and at first I saw nothing. Then, out of nowhere, it was like the darkness lifted just a little where I could clearly see something peering out at us from behind a tree. My feeling of dread grew so much worse at that moment, but not wanting to scare my sister even more, I said, It's just a deer. We should probably go, though. We could see its eyes glowing, just staring right at us. But it was something about the eyes. I just knew it wasn't right, and that it wasn't a deer. So, as we're about to pull off, this thing stood up like a human would, except it was much larger. I wanted to leave that second, but couldn't help but to see what it was doing, and it just out of nowhere jumped off the ground, literally to the top of the trees. I lost it from there. It's worth mentioning that the trees at the Pokemon State Forest are super tall, so whatever this thing was, it wasn't right. That's the best way I can explain it. It just wasn't natural. Although it did look like an animal, 
it didn't at the same time. Without hesitation, I peeled the hell out of there, afraid of what this thing might do. The park was already closed, so as I got to the entrance, the gate was closed. I rolled down my window, screaming, Someone open this gate now, or I swear I will run through it. So they opened it, and I dipped so fast and never looked back. I've never been to that forest since, but I have had a few strange things happen since then. That very same night after I dropped off my sister at her house, I heard that music again in my car for about maybe a minute, and it scared the hell out of me. But oddly also gave me this calm feeling that came over me, and I wasn't scared anymore. Then it went away, just like that and I've never heard it since. Thank you for reading, and I apologize that this was so long. I just didn't want to leave out any details. This is actually my first time telling this story. I have no idea what that thing was, and was curious if anyone had similar experiences or knew what that thing might have been. No matter how hard I try to forget, it's like I just can't unsee what I saw that night. This happened when me and my girl were on an impromptu road trip. At the time, we'd both taken some time off work, as I had time I needed to use, and I could tell that she was in need of a break. We were planning on just chilling at home, but we saw one of our favorite bands was going to be playing in the state over from us, and the drive was about five hours, so we decided to make a trip of it, stay at a hotel out there for a night, and then come back home the day after the concert. This was also in 2019, so we were a bit more carefree at the time. So, and we packed a small bag, got some cash to have on hand, and for any toll roads and then left. The drive out there was fine. We'd driven there multiple times before, so we almost had the route memorized. We decided to stay at our favorite hotel chain because they were reasonably priced, especially considering it included a hot breakfast and dinner. We left early in the morning, so when we got there and checked in, we still had part of the afternoon and evening to enjoy the sights. We did a few things around the town, including a little museum that we had never been to, and we just enjoyed ourselves. That night would be the concert, and I was really happy that we went. Angie, my now fiancé, had a blast, and it looked like she was already feeling better, which made me feel a lot better. The opening band was local, and they were actually really good. We got a copy of their album, and even had the drummer as a friend on Facebook, which was pretty cool. Then we got to talk to the guys from our favorite band. We bought shirts, and they signed them and took pictures with us, and it was all around a good time. We stayed as long as we could, just hanging out until they started closing, so then we headed out. It was midnight at this point, because that was when the venue closed and we had to quickly leave. It was kind of weird because it was a 21-plus show, 
and the curfew thing seemed a bit weird, but not a big deal. Overall, we had a great time, and we were ready to head back to the hotel. Now, the venue that we went to, we'd not been to before. It was more like a little hole-in-the-wall bar with the stage, so we weren't familiar with the area. We started up the navigation on our phone to get back, but, of course, it was having trouble finding a signal at first. So we were driving around aimlessly, both waiting on the signal to come back, and also trying to remember what direction we came from. I was pretty tired, and she was tipsy, so combined, we probably didn't have the best sense of direction. As we came to an intersection, there was a guy leaning against the building, smoking. He made eye contact with us and nodded, and we continued on after the light turned green. Finally, the signal came back, and, of course, I was facing the wrong way, and it wanted me to do a U-turn. I don't really like doing U-turns, unless there's a specific lane for it. At least when I'm in an area that I'm unfamiliar with, so I decided to go around the block to circle around. As we did, we came back to that same intersection where that guy was, and once again had a red light. This time, though, the guy decided to approach us, waving at us to stop or to hold on. There wasn't another car in sight except the parked ones across the streets at the CVS, so I wasn't worried about holding up traffic. I put on my hazards and Angie rolled down her window halfway so we could talk to this guy. I like to think that we're both giving individuals, and we help when we can, even if it means we may be gullible. But we also try to look for the best in people. So while some people may not have even stopped for this guy... The least that we could do was give him a minute of our time to just talk with another person. The reason I say this was that the guy also looked like he had been standing there for quite some time. Like, he had a huge backpack on the ground next to him, as well as a few items sitting on top of it like a jacket and a piece of cardboard, as well as a jug of what I thought was water next to it. He said hi and asked us what we were doing out so late. He asked it in a joking way, like what a parent might say to their kids, so we told him we were leaving a concert and that we were trying to find our way back to the hotel. He asked us which one, and we proceeded to tell him, and he gave us directions on how to get back there. He even suggested that we avoid a certain street because it wasn't the safest. We thanked him, and as the conversation died down, I could see him looking around in our car a bit. It was a bit awkward, but I had a feeling I knew where this was going. Before I could react, though, he started saying something about our car and it being nice, while Angie pulled a $20 bill from her wallet and handed it to the guy. He smiled and thanked us, but then the conversation became a little weird. He tried to make a joke about Angie being loaded, and asked why she would carry around so much cash in a strange place, knowing that it could be dangerous. I could tell that it became a little awkward for her, with the way that she shifted in her seat, and the slight nervous giggle she had, so I responded that we didn't know if we would have to pay for parking, 
at the venue. I just tried to think of something so she wasn't put on the spot anymore. Again, he told us that we should be careful then and head back to the hotel as soon as possible. We agreed, and as we were trying to wrap up the conversation to leave, the guy interrupted me and said he could give better directions if he went with us, and asked if he could since he needed to be somewhere close to that hotel anyways. At that point, I was very hesitant, and I was not comfortable with this idea at all, and I think Angie felt the same way by the way she looked over at me, hoping I would have an excuse. Off the top of my head, I told him it was a rental so we couldn't have more people in it than what was written on the papers, which was just the two of us. He quickly tried to call me out on that, though, that there weren't any rental tags on the car, so Angie jumped in and said it was a friend of ours, so it wasn't actually through a rental place, but we weren't allowed to have anyone else in it, and we didn't want to risk it. He again tried to push the topic, and say that he was just a homeless person looking for a ride, and I think your friend would understand that. Then he said something that kind of chilled me, and part of it was the look on his face, and the manner in which he said it. He said, Besides, it's not like I'm going to kill you, and have my way with her or something. (laughs) I just need a ride. Angie looked at me in complete fear at this point, and I was at a loss for words. What were we supposed to do? Even if we drove off, would he try to come find us? He knew what hotel we were staying at, so it was a possibility. Before I could finish processing, Angie looked at him and said, Okay, uh, grab your stuff and get in the back. He grinned and said, Smart girl. And as he was walking away, I could see something sticking out of his back pocket. It had a handle, like a knife. Without taking her eyes off of him, Angie rolled up the window and just started saying, Drive! Over and over in a completely monotone voice. So, I gunned it. I looked back and I saw the guy turn and watch us as we drove away, and he just stood there, smiling and waving. We didn't say much, other than agreeing that we both saw what was in his pocket, until we got back to the hotel. Instead of parking next to it, I paid for the garage parking and we went to the second floor to hopefully hide our car a bit. It didn't stand out or anything. It was an old silver Ford with no distinguishable features, so we were hoping that he wouldn't show up, and if he did, we hoped he wouldn't find the vehicle. I even took the necklace that was hanging from the mirror down in case he saw it. We sat there for a few, and then quickly made our way into the hotel, where we tried to relax for the rest of the night. The next morning, Angie called the front desk and asked if anyone came looking for us, and she said that no one did, so we eased up. Thinking it was just the night and we would never see this guy again, and then we went about our morning and left. It got worse when we got home, though. I found a story from that city that we were in about a couple that had been robbed from their car. The wife said they'd pulled over to help a guy that looked like he was injured when he pulled a knife on them, 
He demanded their keys and wallets, and when the guy tried to fight back, he was stabbed repeatedly. They were left on the side of the road, and the suspect took their car and left. Thankfully, the husband survived, but they never found the suspect. Their car was later found crashed into a median, and it was destroyed inside and out. They had pictures in the story, and it looked awful. I'd be surprised if the guy survived or wasn't severely injured from that crash, but it was a terrifying thought that it could have happened to us. Was it the same guy? Was he going to try the same thing? The way he looked around the car and made comments about the cash definitely seemed suspicious. We're a lot more careful now when we go to unfamiliar places, and we definitely don't linger around to be nice to strangers. I've been a police officer for somewhere close to a decade, and I've spent a significant portion of my career out on the road making sure that people out there aren't doing anything too crazy. For the most part, the job is pretty boring, which I guess is one of those don't-look-a-gift-horse-in-the-mouth kind of things. If my job wasn't boring, it would probably be a lot more dangerous. I pretty much just drive around and make sure people aren't breaking the law or respond to calls that come in nearby. I've had a few run-ins with crazy situations, sure, but really, for the most part, everything is fairly routine. That all holds true until you get thrown onto the night shift. The minute you get into the car and out onto the road after the sun goes down, things get a bit more hectic and a lot more unpredictable. Sure, things have a certain level of standard. However, there are far more moments where things do get out of hand. Most nights involve calls where people think that someone's in their home, or people calling to say that the neighbors left their garage door open. But some of the things you run into do absolutely get crazy. There was one night that I was driving on my patrol and things were going pretty standard. I had issued a couple of tickets and responded to one or two calls that were pretty uneventful. I then got a call asking to check out a business alarm at a local strip mall and was headed towards said alarm when I saw what looked like a young child standing on the side of the road. I slowed my car down and made sure that I wasn't just going crazy or seeing things and sure enough, on the side of the highway on-ramp, there was a small child. They couldn't have been much older than six or seven. I pulled over, grabbed my radio, calling in that I was stopping at a potential emergency, informing them that there was a child out near the highway, and that they would need to send someone else to the business alarm. They asked if I needed more units at my location, and I informed them that I wasn't sure at that moment. Obviously, we're trained to keep calm in situations like this, and to try and control ourselves, but my mind was honestly racing. It was a bit after midnight at this point. Why was there a child walking on the road by the highway? Where were his parents? Was this some kind of runaway situation? I flicked my lights on to try and get the kid's attention, 
and I jumped out to go find him. As soon as I got onto the shoulder of the road, I heard this kid sobbing somewhere a bit back. I sped up my pace and called out to see if the kid would run over to me once I got his attention. The second that he heard my voice shout over to him, I could hear him crying louder and yelling out to me asking for help. This made me jump into action more than I already had. The kid being out there was confusing at first, for sure, but instead of him just being there and upset, he was now calling out for help. This told me that something else was going on here. As I ran back toward where the kid was, I called into my radio for dispatch and told them to send a second unit to this location and to have medical on standby just in case. When I got over to the little boy and knelt down to try to ask what was going on, I noticed that he had blood on his shirt, and he did look a little cut up. The poor kid was just sitting there sobbing and yelling something incoherently. I let him get it out a bit before I told him to calm down and asked him what was going on. After a short bit of back and forth, he started saying things that made sense, but were dreadful to hear. The first thing he said that I was able to make sense of was car crash. As soon as those two words came out of his mouth, my ears perked up, and I was kind of starting to piece things together. I asked him if he was in a car crash, and he shook his head yes. I asked him if he was in the car with his parents, and he again nodded, and then mentioned that his dad was driving, and they somehow got into an accident. This is what I was expecting, and honestly not wanting to hear. I grabbed my radio and told the dispatch to get medical out here, and as I was calling it in, my backup pulled up to the scene. As he approached, I told him that we may have an accident with an unconscious occupant somewhere, and that the occupant was likely to be this child's father. I went back to the little boy and asked him if the accident happened nearby, and if he could show me. He said yes, and then pointed over toward where there was a ravine by the entry ramp. I stood up and walked over toward where the dip was, and I shined my light down into the ditch, and sure enough, there was a small sedan lying upside down at the bottom. This is where things really jumped into motion. I called over to the other officer, and I informed him to take the child away from the scene to call for more backup, and to get medical down into the ravine as soon as they got there, and I then told him that there was a vehicle down in said ravine. From here, it was mostly adrenaline, and I don't remember everything that happened. The most I recall was that I ran down into the ditch and searched the car, and saw an unconscious man buckled into the driver's seat. I know that I was pulling at the door and trying everything I could to get him out of the car, and then medical showed up and took over. At the end, as things got pieced together, it all fell into place, and I learned exactly what had happened. Apparently, this man had to go somewhere, and he didn't want to leave his son home alone, so he decided that he wanted to take him with him. Unfortunately, with it being as late as it was, he was apparently starting to doze off while driving, and he had done so while he was entering onto the highway from the ramp. 
when he did, he ended up going over the side and flipping his car down into the ravine. Thankfully, through some miracle from above, when the car flipped, neither of them were killed. The father had some moderate injuries, a concussion, and his son had a few scratches, scrapes, and bruises, but nothing that was life-threatening or anything like that. Like I said, it had to have been a miracle that neither of them were killed or seriously injured, and I'm beyond glad of the fact that I happened to be driving by at that exact moment that I needed to be. However, I think this experience should hold strong as a testament for why you should never get out on the road while you're tired, unless absolutely necessary. In this situation, no one was seriously injured, but I have absolutely seen wrecks at night where the people were not so lucky. As an officer, I have to say, please, be careful out there, and make sure that you're awake and aware when you get behind the wheel. This actually happened to me last week, and I'm still kind of freaking out about it in my head and trying to process what I saw. I live in an apartment complex that was recently built, like, within the last year. They started tearing down a patch of trees that blocked the highway on the other side to build this place, so it disrupted some wildlife, I'm sure. The town I live in doesn't have much in the way of multi-dwelling homes, like apartments. It's been more for retirees and senior living, so besides moving away, this was one of the cheapest places to live other than a house, so that's why I chose it, besides the fact that it was close to my mom and my job. So, to get to the complex, you have to take a road that was basically made to get to this place. It's pretty long because it sits back in that carved-out field, and since it's still surrounded by some trees, you can still see a bit of wildlife. When I'm driving, I typically go slower down the road because I see deer, possums, squirrels, and even a few feral cats cross it. It's beautiful at my apartment, too, because sitting out on the balcony, I get a view of the trees and sometimes I can see deer in there or a bunch of birds flying around. One of my neighbors actually has bird and squirrel feeders that she not only put by her patio, but also closer to the trees, so they were away from the people. It's a nice view. Anyways, this happened when I was driving home from my mom's place late one night, I went there to have dinner after work, since I was off later, and she invited me over, so I didn't have to spend money on food. I could never say no to her cooking anyways. It was about nine or so when I left, and I was already feeling tired. As I was driving back, I was trying my hardest to focus as the lights dimmed when I went between the streetlights. At one point... I saw something on all four legs crossing the road, so I started slowing down. As I came to a stop, I really got a better look at the animal, and I was horrified. My car was just a bit in front of the light where the animal was on the other side of it. Based on what I could see in the light and its shape, 
I could tell it was a deer. But there was something horribly wrong with it. What I thought at first was mud or something in its fur had to be blood and flesh. It looked like all the fur on that side of the body was gone, and I was just looking at skin. The only way I can think to describe it was like that side of its body had been scraped off. Its leg was the same way, and in fact, I'm pretty sure I could see part of the leg bone and its jawbone. I was panicking in my head, thinking that something obviously happens to this thing, and it was going to collapse right in front of me. Instead, it just stood there, staring at me, as if there was nothing wrong with it. In fact, it didn't even seem intimidated or scared of me at all. Still confused about what I was seeing, though, and since it wasn't moving, I decided to get out of my car and try to get closer. The minute I opened my door and started walking around it, the smell hit me. It was the smell of decay and rot. I felt like I was going to be sick, so I pulled my shirt up over my nose to try to mask the smell. I got a little closer and I could confirm that I was definitely seeing raw flesh. I really don't understand how this deer was alive and even standing in front of me. I said something under my breath, like, what the hell? Or something to that effect. And that's when the deer started backing up. I didn't know what it would do or could do being injured to that extent, so I backed up to give it space. And that's when I heard a loud plop coming from the trees on the right, where the deer was walking from. Within the time it took me to look in that direction, the deer bolted across the road and took off. I watched it for a few seconds as it ran away without as much as a limp, when I heard another sound coming from the opposite side. It sounded like something big was falling to the ground, like out of the tree, at this point, that putrid smell of death was still lingering, and I was getting this overwhelming sense of dread, so I ran back to my car, locking the doors, and I just sat there looking into the trees. That's when I saw something moving around in the trees that very clearly was not a deer. It was trying to walk on all four, but the movement wasn't right. It was choppy and very uncoordinated, it almost reminded me of a fawn trying to walk for the first time, as well as maybe a human trying to walk with their hands. And the back was very rigid and curved. I had no clue what I was looking at, but it terrified me, so I took off. I've never driven that fast down the road, but I knew that I didn't want to be there anymore, and maybe even wasn't supposed to be there. When I got home... I looked around before getting out of my car, and when it looked safe, I made a mad dash to the building, pulling the door shut, and then running up the stairs to my place and quickly locking the door. I went and looked out my balcony door to see if I could see anything on that side of the woods, which was opposite from the one I was at. So, I didn't really expect to see anything, but was still paranoid and scared. When I didn't see anything... I took some time to try and calm myself down and called my dad to talk to him about it. As expected, 
He told me the deer was probably in some kind of accident and was in shock and probably died shortly after my encounter with him. I tried to stay reasonable and keep that in my mind, but then I was confused about the big thing trying to imitate a deer. However, I didn't tell my dad about that one. I figured he would probably just think I was seeing things. I haven't told anyone else about this until now because it's still nightmare fuel for me. I want to be reasonable and say that maybe it was just another deer with some kind of weird deformity, but was it? Was that really what I saw? Or is there something more sinister in those woods? All I know is I haven't seen it since, thankfully, and I don't stop like that anymore at night, no matter what road I'm on. I'm a female. When I was 16, I lived in the Valley area of Los Angeles. This was many years ago. As I explained in an earlier story, at this time the best part of my week was Saturday nights, when I would meet my friends at our beloved Under 21 nightclub to dance the night away. The vast majority of the time, I'd have to get a ride there and back. I didn't have my own car until a couple of years later, when I was in college. But, occasionally, a family friend would lend me his car, and on one of these Saturday nights, he did. I felt so independent and free to be able to take myself to the club, and to be able to leave when I wanted. On the night of this story, I drove to the club and had a typical great time dancing with my groups of friends to music like Prince, Earth, Wind, and Fire. At the end of the night, I got into my borrowed car and headed toward home. In case you don't know, the San Fernando Valley is made up of many suburban towns. None are really small, and some are very nice. And as you'd expect, some are less nice with higher crime. I lived with my family in a medium town in the northern part of the valley. It was neither very nice nor very bad, with medium homes on mostly respectful if not professionally manicured lawns. And, being the greater Los Angeles area, there were many differing routes I could take to get home, whether freeway, highway, or city street. It was after midnight at this time but most routes that I could take would still be bustling on Saturday nights. I'd had my fill of loud music, laughter, and chattering voices, so I opted for a quieter route home. I took some busy streets and then veered into some quiet neighborhoods that would take me home. If I drove through some quiet house-lined streets, I would get home a little faster, and I was tired. GPS hadn't been invented at this time, nor even cell phones, so I had to rely on maps, or just knowing the chosen route. I'd heard bad things about a town called Pacoima, but I'd only been through it during the day, maybe once. Still, I knew how to get through to shave a few minutes off my time, and besides, being someone used to walking or taking buses... 
I felt blissfully perfectly safe now in a well-running car with gas in the tank. I was safer at this moment than almost any other time. At least that's what I believed. Still, I was a teenage girl alone after midnight in an area that I was unfamiliar with and naive enough to think nothing bad could happen to me in a locked car. I entered a residential street in Pacoima and only had to go a couple of blocks to get to the next town, then to my own. As I slowly drove down a dark, quiet avenue of modest homes, there were streetlights illuminating the unknown. This also helped with my feeling of invincibility. As I smiled to myself at this, I started to notice a few people walking down the street toward me. At first, I didn't give it much notice. My left turn out of Pacoima was coming up just ahead anyways. But... As they got closer, I very quickly realized it wasn't just a few people. It was a gang of approximately 12 to 15 men, and they weren't casually walking down the sidewalk. They were aggressively running down the middle of the street, and right toward me. I suddenly had to slow to almost a stop so as to not hit anyone, and this is when they all got a really good look at me. Looks which turned instantly more excited and animated as they all realized I was just a young girl alone. Many exchanged smiling glances between them, and others were whooping, whistling, and calling out things to me. Smoothly, effortlessly, as if they had rehearsed ahead of time, several of them stopped me completely by standing right in front of my car and even putting their hands on the hood as others walked around to my driver and passenger doors and pulled at the handles to open the doors. I didn't always lock the doors when I drove, and cars didn't really have auto locks back then, but I was thanking God that I'd had the foresight to do it on this night. Of course, it all happened very fast, but in my shock and terror, it felt like slow motion. So quickly adjusting my mind from carefree to possibly being abducted or worse by this large group of men, they had me trapped. I couldn't drive forward nor reverse out of there because, at this time, the car was completely surrounded by men. And as a couple of guys picked up sticks or other objects to try to bust in my windows, I knew that I had to think clearly and act fast. I did the only thing I could think of. I started driving forward. Having blocked my car completely, I could see the surprise on some of their faces as they knew they had to move out of my way or risk being run over. I had immediately decided that if they didn't move, I would run them over. All the men standing in front of my car quickly jumped out of the way, and I sped up as I took the left turn out of Pacoima. I did make it home safely, but my heart did not stop beating out of my chest for the rest of the night. Of course, I thought about it for a long time after as well. I felt proud of the way that I handled the situation, but kept running through possibilities of what I could have done differently. What if they didn't get out of the way, and I actually hit a couple people with the car? How would I have lived with myself?
Should I have just sat in place and honked the horn to hopefully wake up people in their homes around me? What if one of the men had pointed a gun at me? I'm very happy that it turned out the way that it did, but it could have turned out so much worse. So, I hope we'll all keep in mind that we're not quite invincible inside a car, no matter how cozy even heated leather seats may make us feel. Dark, quiet shortcuts are not a good idea, especially late at night. And always drive with your doors locked. So, Pacoima gang that tried to grab and do who knows what to a teenage girl driving alone one late Saturday night, it's been a long time since then. And I'm very glad that I didn't meet any of you ever again. This happened to me about 10 years ago when I was 14. It was a warm summer night in 2012, 14, female at the time. I was walking around the city with my friends R, 16, male, and his older cousin J, 24, male. We had all been neighbors for about four years now, and our families knew each other, so it was quite normal for us to all be hanging out together despite the age gaps. During our walk, we decided to take a shortcut through the cemetery. It was after hours, and I'm pretty sure it was illegal for us to be in there at the time, but we weren't doing anything other than cutting through, which we would often do during the day as well. As we were walking down the path, we saw headlights turning into the cemetery, and the boys, of course, darted way ahead of me into the tree line. Since the boys ran ahead of me off the path and away from the lights, it was pitch black. There was residual light twinkling through the branches as I made my way down into the trees, but it dropped down to a slight hill and the light was lost. I was walking along trying to be as quiet as possible, almost blind due to my eyes not adjusting yet, and that's when the feeling of dread set in. I had no idea where the boys were. I couldn't see, and I didn't want to be caught by the police by myself. But there was something else. Almost a chill in the air on this warm night in July. I tried to brush off this uneasy feeling, thinking it was just my nerves or being scared, because the boys took off without me. But alarms were going off in my head. Like something was very, very wrong. And... That's apart from the legal reasons that I shouldn't be there. I make out a shape to the left of me as I'm walking. I take a couple steps towards it and say, Guys, is that you? Nothing. No response. I take a few more steps forward, and I swear to God, just like the movies, a freaking twig snaps under my foot. Now, the reason I had thought it was the boys is because this shape was crouched down next to a pile of brush and was big enough to look like two people hunching over. I thought that they'd been hiding there, but when the twig snapped, I stopped in my tracks as this thing stood up and towered over me. I was about five foot tall at the time, and this thing was easily two of me stacked right on top of each other. Whatever this thing was, 
It was only 15 feet or so away from me, and I was frozen with horror. It was facing away from me at first, then its neck slash head almost swiveled around like an owl, and I was met with an oval-shaped gray face with no nose or mouth, only two pitch-black hollow eye sockets. The rest of this thing was pitch black against the dark trees. The light from the path was no longer streaming through the branches. It was just me, and this thing that seemed like the personification of darkness itself. This thing and I stared at each other for what felt like an eternity. The woods around me, through the corners of my eyes, were getting darker, and my heart was pounding so hard that I could feel it through my entire body. Every tiny hair on my body was prickling. I was cold. The only thing I can remember thinking was, this is it. I'm never going to see my family again. The body of this thing had followed its head and swiveled, so now I could see its long, curved arms held right up to what would be its chest. Its legs were similarly curved, almost like it wasn't standing at full height, but still slightly crouching down. Its body was almost translucent, and it looked like it was wearing some kind of hooded cloak that was see-through as well. The only thing that was 100% solid was its face, and its void-like eyes that made me feel like I was staring right into the depths of hell. Neither of us moved. We were locked in the most terrifying staring contest for what felt like an eternity until a strange feeling came over me. I felt like I could move again, and I had the energy to run a 5k marathon without breaking a sweat. Then, I heard a very calm but stern voice say, Go. Now. Run. It's kind of hard to explain where the voice was coming from exactly. It was sort of in my head, but all around me at the same time. I'm getting chills as I write this. I know the voice did not come from whatever this thing was in front of me, because when I heard the voice speak, it looked as if this horrid creature recoiled at the sound of it. Like, it took a step or two backwards, and kind of ducked its head down. I saw this as my chance, and I turned away from this thing, and I start bolting down further into the tree line, no longer caring about being quiet and crashing through the bush like an animal being chased by some predator. I could almost feel this thing right on my tail, but after running about 200-ish feet, I run directly into the boys, literally crashing into them. I'm obviously scared and pissed, so I ask why the hell they left me like that, and they apologized. Apparently, I'd been missing for almost half an hour, and they had already searched in the direction that I ran from. They heard weird whispering voices all around the woods while I was gone, like the voices were coming from everywhere around them. They said right before I crashed into them, the whispering stopped. I told them about what I saw, and all they said was that we should get out of there. We left the cemetery very quickly, and as soon as we walked out of the gates... It was like we all let out this sigh of relief. We never talked about that night again, and even during the day, 
none of us ever took that shortcut through the cemetery. I still live in the same city, and to this day, I avoid it like the plague. I won't even drive by it. This isn't my only story, but it's definitely one of the more terrifying ones that still haunts me to this day. I thought that I would share another one of my encounters. This happened in a timeshare apartment in the Lake District. We got the apartment really cheap off of a friend who owns timeshares. The apartment was on the ground floor of a really old hotel. It had a huge lounge with a bedroom off one side. On the wall you faced, there were three steps up to the kitchen. The kitchen was weird, as it had a big picture window that looked onto a passageway that led to the front door, into the hotel. Also, the passage had a dog-leg staircase down to a bathroom with a jacuzzi bath. The passageway also had a blocked-up doorway. It was lit by passive lights that came on when you walked out. On the first night, we were tired, so we went to bed about 10. I woke up at 11.15pm and could smell a really sweet perfume. Strong, like someone was waving it under my nose. I reminded myself the next day to look for the offending plug-in, as I thought one was somewhere in the room, and I fell asleep. On our first full day, we went out walking, so we didn't spend much time in the apartment. When we got back, I made us a sandwich, and while I was busy, the passive light in the passage kept coming on by itself. Very strange. We had our sandwich, and then I decided a glass of wine in the jacuzzi would be lovely. After I had finished and tried to leave, the door to the bathroom became stuck. I tugged like mad to no avail. I shouted for my husband. Nothing. I kept trying the door, and after a good ten minutes, it just opened. No problems. I turned the light off in the bathroom, started up the stairs into the pitch black, and waited for the passive to light my way, but it didn't. I waved my arms about like a demented bat, but nothing. So I felt my way up the stairs. As I got around the corner, I expected the second passive to pick me up. It didn't. I flew into the lounge and light, just glad to be back. We just laughed it off. During the night, I awoke at 2.15 and there was the strong smell of perfume in the bedroom again. The next morning, we set about looking for the source of the perfume smell. We looked all over the bedroom, even under the bed, and once again we found nothing. We went out for a few hours. On our return, we put a film on and settled down into the lounge. We had a meal and a couple of drinks. The light in the passageway kept flashing on and off again. We asked reception if a bulb or something needed fixing, and they had a look and said that it was working fine. We put some music on and after a couple of hours, decided to go to bed. 
The switch to turn the light off was at the furthest point from the bedroom door, and my husband had gone to bed already. I turned the light off and started to cross the room in the dark, and all of a sudden, three bright blue lights crossed the lounge in front of me. Each one had a long tail, and they didn't move fast. They went into the kitchen and disappeared out of sight. I ran the rest of the way into the bedroom, and I told my husband about what had happened. He said he had a weird feeling about the place, and he said he didn't like being in the lounge alone. I noticed that he always went to bed first and left me to turn the light off. I felt unnerved and checked the door twice just to make sure it was shut properly. Later that night, something woke me up. It was that perfume smell. Sickly sweet. I could hear footsteps in the lounge. I started to poke my husband in the ribs, but he wouldn't wake up. I could feel my heart thudding in my chest. All of a sudden, the bedroom door clicked open. I was petrified and put my head under the sheet. I must have stayed like that for over an hour until eventually I must have fallen asleep. I know that if I'd had the guts to look out from under the sheet, there would have been something there. I'm such a coward. The next day, we packed up and we went home. This story did not happen directly to me, but to my mom back in the late 70s, when she was in her early 20s. She and her friend Connie were taking a road trip through a few different states, and were currently driving through Arizona. On this night, it was around 10 or 11 p.m. when they were both starting to feel too tired to keep driving. So... They decided to pull over and spend the night at a hotel or motel at the next exit. After a few miles, they came across an exit off the highway that showed signs for a gas station and a motel. They pulled off the exit and found a small motel that had a near-empty parking lot. At first, my mom and Connie weren't sure if this place was even operating, due to how run down and empty it looked. But... There was a tall, lit-up sign on the tall motel sign, indicating that they had vacancy. My mom said that she particularly remembers a cold shudder running down her back as they pulled into the parking lot. She looked around and noticed that there was only one other car parked in the entire lot. They got out of the car and walked into the main lobby. They had to ring one of the service bells a couple of times before an older-looking man probably in his late 60s, entered from the back room. My mom said that he approached them with an eerie look, and they said that they would like one room for the night. The motel clerk didn't say anything, but handed them the registration forms. My mom recalls noticing as Connie was filling out the paperwork, the clerk was eyeing both of them in a very suspicious way. After they paid... He handed them a key and told them they'd be in the room they would be in. They left the lobby and returned to their car to retrieve their luggage and headed towards their room. My mom said their room was located on the farthest end of the motel lot. 
right by the creepy deserted road that they had turned off of. This made her feel very uneasy, but she tried to shrug it off and hoped they would just be able to turn in and get back on the road after a few hours of sleep. So, they let themselves into the room, clicked on the light, which only barely lit up the room, and got settled in. The room had two beds and a dresser in between the two, as well as a bathroom towards the center back end of the room. As my mom set her suitcase onto one of the beds, she noticed on the headboard in the wall right above it, there were hundreds of hand-carved crosses all over it. She took a step back and observed the entire area. It was covered in crucifixes on every inch of the headboard. She was just about to notify Connie of the creepy observation when she suddenly noticed the scratching sounds. Across the room... There was a closed door, and from that area, she heard what sounded like an animal on the other side of it, scratching at the door. My mom took a few cautious steps towards the door, and heard the sounds of a very impatient dog scratching and whimpering. She guessed that there was an adjoining room that this door led to, but still didn't want to open it and find out in the case this dog could be hostile. Connie was equally weirded out, and decided to call the lobby to notify the desk clerk of this. As Connie was on the phone, my mom took some more time to check out the rest of the room that was giving her more and more creepy and unnerving vibes. She noticed something on the dresser between the two beds, and saw that it was a small printed out receipt. She picked it up, and saw that it was a receipt for the exact same date and same room for this very motel. It had a time printed on it, showing for 9pm. My mom was immediately weirded out by this. Someone had just checked this room out, but was not in this room. As Connie was reporting the strange dog next door, my mom turned to her and held up the receipt card to show her. My mom asked for the phone and told the desk clerk that she had found a receipt for their room for this very same day that was apparently printed out just an hour or two ago. She demanded to know what this was all about. The desk clerk just replied in a monotone voice, The dog was abandoned by the last person who stayed in your room. He checked in around nine but checked out shortly after. We have no idea where he went, but his dog was left here. We'll call the local animal control in the morning. And with that, he hung up. My mom just stared blankly at the receiver before hanging up. She turned to Connie and relayed what she was just told. Connie agreed that this place was giving her nothing but creepy and bad vibes, too. I mean, why was the last person who was here just there to leave their dog? And why would the motel give them the exact same room that someone else had checked into, not just two hours ago. Of all the other apparent vacant rooms, why give them this one? Maybe they were being paranoid over nothing, or maybe something was wrong that was happening at this hotel. All my mom and Connie knew was that they did not want to spend one more minute in that place. So, they quickly gathered up their belongings, ran out to their car, and sped off. Fortunately, they were able to find a larger and more populated hotel 
about 20 miles later and checked in there. Now, I know this story doesn't really have a scary or terrifying outcome, but to my mom's experience, this was one of the creepiest moments of her life. Sure, there could have been a lot of explanations for the strange dog on the other adjoining room, or the strange carvings in the wall and the headboard, or even for the last guest checking into the same room an hour or two before them. But both my mom and her friend were listening to their intuition, and that was telling them to get the hell out of that place, as neither of them felt safe. Hello all. I have a story and a problem to tell that I'm hoping you guys might be able to help me with. I'm sorry if this is a little on the long side. About 12 to 13 years ago, I was around 15, and my family and I had moved in with my grandparents for a few months in a new city while we looked for our own house. Turns out, my parents picked a place about eight houses down from my grandparents. Once they told us, me and my younger brother by five years wanted to check it out. So, we walked down the street to take a look. In front of the house, there's a giant window that looks directly into the family room, to the dining room, and then out of another giant window in the backyard. So... From the front yard, you could see all the way through to the backyard. When my brother and I had gotten down the street to the new house, we went through the gate in the front yard. When we got to the front window, we both stopped. We looked through into the backyard and we saw... something. I have trouble describing it because it didn't really have a shape. It was human-like, but completely dark and seemed to be made of something not quite solid, almost like a black smoke. I can't tell you why, but it felt like a man. We both instantly got this overwhelming bad feeling. My brother and I looked at each other, realized we both saw it, and knew that we had to leave, then booked it back to my grandparents. When we got back, I asked if he saw it, which he confirmed he did. After that, we didn't talk about it much. We ended up moving into the house a few weeks later, and nothing much happened while we lived there for about two years. I remember a long hallway with a ceiling-height mirror that was pretty creepy, but that's about it. After a while, I summed it all up to us being young boys with wild imaginations. A few years later, though, I saw it again. Again, through a window, the same smoky black shape. This was at my college. Nothing happened again, just a feeling of dread, and I walked the other way. Up until now, I've seen him in total around six times. So it's not often, but often enough to know it's not me just making things up. It is always through a window, and I always get that awful feeling of needing to leave. The most recent time was a couple of weeks ago, which is why I finally decided to post this here. 
My hope is that someone has some idea what this could be, as well as how I can get rid of it. Or am I just stuck with this visitor every couple years? So it's 2.14 at the time that I'm beginning to write this, and the encounter started around 12 a.m. I was lying in bed with one of my two cats, watching TV. Red Dwarf, specifically. Something I've seen a million times, and is pretty much a comfort show, so I know what I heard wasn't the TV. Suddenly... I heard a faint and rather androgynous voice coming from outside. It was a little high-pitched and whiny. It's hard to recall because I only heard it once, and all it said was, Hello, with an upward inflection. I didn't really know how to react. I thought it had to have been my other cat, but now I'm thoroughly convinced that it wasn't. Because a few minutes later... There were three knocks at my front door in rapid succession. I threw on some clothes really quick and went to see if there was someone at the door. About a sixth of it is window, and I couldn't see anyone or anything from inside through the window. So I just assumed it had to have been the damn cat screwing around. So I went to bed, but was really freaked out. Ten minutes later... And there's a knocking on my door again. Freaked out to hell, I jump up and grab the machete that's near my bed, and I carefully look out the window again before going outside to have a look around. There's no one around again. I go back in and I grab my pellet gun, and I go back to my bedroom because it just feels safer in there. Ten minutes later, again, it's the same freaking knocking at my door. It takes me a few seconds to get there because, at this point, I'm terrified and texting my wife about it. I get outside, and there was nothing. No one. Again. My wife tells me to call the cops, and I do. While waiting for them, I was pacing around the house and ended up walking into the bathroom. While in there, I heard a deep and muffled voice from outside the window very quietly. I basically screamed like a bitch and went back to the bedroom until the cops showed up. They looked around and found nothing, of course. I live in far northern California, if that helps. Does anyone have any ideas what could be going on? This story may be offensive in places but it's being told exactly how it has to be. My home state is called Tasmania, an island state of Australia. Some say it isn't a big state, but are often surprised by how big it actually is. There's wilderness, opens, mountains, and a cranking capital city called Hobart. I don't care what people say about it. I love it. I'm from Launceston, the cesspit, I call it. So I moved to Hobart at about 26 to 7 years old for university. And, of course, I needed a job. 
I was in the prized location, one off Sandy Bay, right near the ocean. All of the food shops imaginable and a supermarket, but most importantly, the university. I found a job pretty quick, waitressing at a steakhouse. And that's where I met... I'll call her L for privacy reasons. L and I became besties pretty quickly, as we soon learned that we were studying the same subjects at university. After a while, she was needing somewhere to stay as she had broken up with her partner and was finding it hard to get a job and keep it. Her bosses always sleezed on her, and she didn't get why. I said aside from the fact that you're very pretty, quite a few men here have a preconceived idea of what an Asian girl will do for money. She's petite, gorgeous, intelligent young woman, and I opened the paper to the escorts for hire section and showed her pages of Asian escort ads. This is why you have trouble, I said. At the time, flip phones were still a thing, but cameras had only really just begun. Why does this matter, you ask? Well, I took my friend in to live, and we went shopping one summer day. She wheeled the trolley, and I grabbed the stuff. I'm the tall one, so she was leaning slightly on the trolley as she waited. She had on a a cute, summery dress with some wedge sandals for height. She was still short, (laughs) And she looked about 13, maybe 15. We were in the makeup aisle at the time that it happened. Someone caught my eye, just past my friend. It was a man with a basket and a phone. A flip phone. A new one. I got a glance at his basket as he grabbed two makeup cases, a blue and a pink one, without really paying attention to what he got. I don't remember anything else that was in the basket now, but back then, you could assume gender without any guilt as such, and so you did. In other words, he didn't look like a man who would normally be in a makeup aisle, and he moved like the wind when he saw me looking at him. I didn't say a word because all I had was instinct, but I knew. I got my friend to come to an open area of the supermarket to test him. We faced the wall, and I made her decide on what to get, which I don't know what it was now, but it was just a distraction. Sure enough, he pulled out his phone, bobbed down, and went to take a photo. I yelled at the top of my lungs, scaring my friend as much as everyone else. He made a run for it as I chased him, through to the counter where he almost threw the basket out me to get out. He bolted and no one did anything. So, just putting a warning out there now that phones are more prevalent, you don't really know how a perv may strike. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search as The Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you.
All that said, friends, I will see you on the next episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then, sleep well.